Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by PayPal. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley. We got Jen Sinassi. We got another major bombshell in the world of U.S. crypto regulation. Let's talk about it. Starting off the show with some fresh news. SEC sues Coinbase. This was anticipated following news of a Wells notice being issued to the U.S. crypto exchange. But now we see it. And now we know that the SEC is trying to tackle Coinbase for allegedly being an unregistered securities exchange. This is one day after similar action against Binance. A bit different in tone, I would say, but certainly the substance of the complaint is very similar. The SEC now officially going after Coinbase as well. Very wild, very wild two days in the crypto markets to see this as a quick one-two punch from Gary Gensler's SEC. I'm going to throw this to Will. What do you think? What stands out to you about this? Yeah, I woke up late this morning and this was just like a daze and confusion seeing a breaking headline like this. Your mind starts spinning and you're like, oh, I'm behind and everything. And you start reading the subtext and you want to get into the documentation itself. What we know so far, and I'm going to compare it against the Binance case, is that this case against Coinbase has to do with listings of different assets on the exchange itself. They aren't bringing anything against Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase. They're specifically bringing against some of the token listings. Historically, Coinbase was actually pretty conservative about listing some tokens. And they did that because they wanted to be in step with regulators in the US. But over the last three years, four years, they started losing some ground against incumbents or new guys on the beat, I should say, like Binance. And so they started opening up listings to a lot of different tokens. So you know, if these other exchanges are not going to be brought into compliance, if they're quote unquote outside US shores, then why can't we compete against them? Let's start listing some tokens. And now you see that that strategy kind of get them in hot water here. And there's a slew of different tokens that are now uh, being seen as securities within the eyes of the SEC. And the SEC is going to hold Coinbase liable. For the Binance story yesterday, that had a lot to do with not only the tokens listing, such as BNB or BUSD or some other tokens, 
but also had to do with the fact that they were uh, supposed to be outside the US, but still offering its products to US customers. And there's some notes from executives, compliance officers, etc. at Binance that said that they were operating in the US without a license. So it's pretty damning evidence. So two very different cases, I would say. But the core issue is basically the same, that the SEC sees a lot of these token offerings and these products as unregistered securities. Zach? Critically, in addition to that, there's just questions about the structure of Coinbase that are listed here in this document, this complaint, right? So the merging of these functions that are traditionally separate in traditional financial markets, uh, the idea of being exchange, a clearinghouse, all these things, uh, Coinbase provides all those functions, right? And I think historically in the world of securities, they're sort of separated out by individual actors such that the conflicts of interest are minimized, right? So the SEC is saying, hey, not only did you not register as a national securities exchange, but you're doing all these other clearing and settlement functions that traditionally should be executed by other firms outside of the walls of Coinbase itself. So there is, in addition to you know, some of these claims of some of these assets being unregistered securities, there are significant claims against the structure of Coinbase itself. Also worth noting that the staking program is uh, hit here as well. So there's a few fronts over which the SEC is alleging that Coinbase has done wrong. But pretty crazy to watch this, certainly, certainly uh, capturing people's interest on Twitter and elsewhere. Jen, what do you think? Oh, what a morning. So I, <laughs> I just had to take a big sigh there. Yeah, so much going on. I think that it, it, both suits are so well researched. The SEC obviously took a lot of time to investigate both firms. And there are some pretty damning allegations here. What's interesting is right after the SEC suing Coinbase, right after that news broke this morning, we learned that 10 states are also suing Coinbase or looking into Coinbase for their EARN program. And so while there is no evidence to say that there is a coordinated attack here, it pretty well seems very coordinated that all of these lawsuits are dropping one after another. And if you're a centralized exchange in the US right now, I can't imagine what's going on behind the scenes. For the securities that are listed in both suits, I know we're going to talk about that in the next story. I can't imagine what's going on behind the scenes for some of these projects who have alleged securities who have popped up in these suits. I wonder if they've heard from the SEC. I wonder if they knew that this was going to happen. And I wonder how they're going to respond to this. I just have so many questions when it comes to what's going to happen next. And I guess my last thought here is, you know, Ripple recently came out and said they're, they're going to spend, I think, $200 million defending themselves against the SEC. You know, Binance, biggest crypto exchange in the world, Coinbase, biggest exchange in the US. I wonder how the defense in both of these suits is going to affect their business plans for expansion and diversification, especially over the rest of the bear. But Zach? Yeah. In addition to this bombshell filing, we have SEC chair Gary Gensler making the rounds uh, in the press. He was on CNBC earlier today. Let's hear what he said. Look, we don't need more uh, digital currency. We already have digital currency. It's called the US dollar. It's called the euro. It's called the yen. They're all digital right now. We already have digital investments. Those are the talking points, and he's sticking to it. It's Gary Gensler on CNBC earlier today to s discussing the action against Coinbase and also Binance. Will, wh what do you think? What do you think about that line of, uh, of reasoning? We already have enough digital currencies. I think it's maybe alighting a key point of what cryptocurrencies can offer. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. Like The basic point is not wrong. All these currencies are digital at this point. The thing that's odd here is that it's not really his purview. Like His job is to look at the securities market and protect investors and also make sure that there's good capital formation in the United States. His job is not to litigate what is a good investment or what is a 
bad investment. It's also not his decision to make currency decisions, right? That's up to the Treasury Department. That's really up to Congress. That is up to IRS. That has nothing really to do with the Securities Administration at all. So it's odd to see that. I suppose maybe if you're taking like a very wide view of all these things, you could say like, well, he needs to be lockstep with the further administrations. Uh, if there is going to be like a new incumbent or a new emerging currency popping up, and it's going to maybe fall under the Securities Administration at the beginning, then he could swat it down. And maybe that's the line he's taking. But it's just odd to see that. I want to point to some comments I've heard in Canada. So with all of the regulatory news in Canada, exchanges leaving Canada, I've heard people say like, you know, that you can't have crypto in Canada anymore. People really do believe by reading these headlines that there are no on and off ramps. You, it really is taking more, I think, out of people and more of a push for people to go and do their own research and figure out how to interact with crypto assets if they want to. And I think comments like this could be doing something similar, right? You have these big headlines. Um, you have Gary Gensler come out and say digital currency already exists. There's no need to engage. There are all these things happening um, behind the scenes with the people who are operating the exchanges that have these currencies. And so I think that it's probably affecting the retail person who has not really interacted with crypto yet, maybe was interested, and now is taking a backseat to see what happens in the US. And if things continue this way, they may not interact with crypto for a really long time. Zach? Yeah, I think also we should discuss you know some of these assets that are listed. I think what a lot of people are saying is the one that's not listed, ETH, the native currency of the Ethereum blockchain, not listed on this, which some are seeing as potentially a good sign. There have been a lot of talk as to whether or not ETH would be considered a security under Gary Gensler's regime. So the fact that that one is not listed has people interested for sure. It is pretty crazy like how to delineate which one is which, right? I think it's also sort of a time aspect, right? Ethereum has sort of um, reached escape velocity. But if you look at like some of these claims that are in these documents, some of them are the same as the Binance one, other are, others are new. If you look at the claims as to how these foundations or these founding teams are interacting with these blockchains, they're just in an earlier stage relative to what Ethereum is at now. And so I think there's this weird sort of time aspect in terms of cherry picking people who are running afoul of creating something and putting it out into the world. It's a bit crazy to watch, honestly it's hard to sort of understand entirely the rationale. So there's a lot of wondering about what's all going on there. But I think we can leave that there. Plenty to discuss. So much going on around this one. A lot of good commentary out on coindesk.com and other outlets. We're going to go right to the next story because it's the same topic. You segued us perfectly there, Zach. Let's talk about all the different altcoins that are considered in this case right now. There is a slew of them. And just like Zach said, it's somewhat confusing how these are being picked. And if you have looked at the documentation for these SEC cases over the years, it's also been confusing which ones they throw into the mix in these cases. Again, they normally bring these up against exchanges, not necessarily against the token teams themselves. And so they sort of just kind of throw a slew in there. For this case, uh, we have a decent amount, including Voyager token, Solana, Sandbox, Near, Polygon, ICP, Flow, Chili's, Cardano, Dash, Axie Infinity, Nexo, and Filecoin. The one missing there that a lot of people were somewhat expecting to see was Ethereum, including Jack Dorsey, who tweeted this morning on Twitter that Ethereum is a security. I want to get your guys' take on this. These tokens are falling as of right now, down around 2% at the most. Coinbase itself is also down about 20%. Coinbase, the security, the stock, and not the token. Zach, to you. 
Yeah, the question is, at what point do these become adequately decentralized, right? At what point do they grow up and sort of uh, leave the nest as it relates to the founding team or the foundation that is shepherding the growth of these ecosystems? These are permissionless blockchains. You can Anyone can build on them. In the early going, a key job of these foundations and other founding teams is sort of spreading the gospel of why folks should build on their chain as opposed to another, right? So I think it's sort of like, I guess the working principle sort of goes back to sort of the Hinman uh, discussion, uh, an earlier SEC commissioner who said, you know, uh, Ethereum is adequately, adequately decentralized, doesn't really fall into his view of it being a security that's become contested. It's never been that has never been an official proclamation from the SEC. But it's something that uh, Gary Gensler has sort of seemingly sought to walk back, right? So the fact that ETH isn't mentioned here, I think is certainly notable. And again, it's just hard. It's just really hard to kind of grok what the, yeah, what the heuristic is. Uh, for something that's adequately decentralized and so- something that's adequately out of control of the people who start these things, because they have to start somewhere, right? It's not immaculate conception for these things. You know, there are people behind them. And then at some point, according to the SEC or according to other people in the space, they say, hey, okay, this is grown up. It's its own thing. It's out in the world like any other commodity would, would be. But it's hard to kind of understand because we do fall into this pattern of uh, regulation by enforcement rather than, you know, those clear guidelines that I think we've talked about time and time again. Uh, but back to you. Yeah, the one thing I want to comment about this is just how arbitrary it looks like when they sort of include different tokens on there. There's well over 30,000 trading pairs on Uniswap. Anyone can kind of list a token there, but it gives a good barometer for how many tokens there are actively in the ecosystem, some with no liquidity at all, and some with a lot of liquidity. It's confusing for the SEC to cherry pick 12, throw it into this documentation, and basically be putting these teams on notice that they are in violation of US securities laws. While there are, again, probably like 28,000 plus other tokens that are not included in this, but the SEC would likely also consider them to be in a violation of securities laws. It's a very confusing part of this. There's a tweet popping off right now on Twitter talking about how it looks like the SEC went to the Coinbase website and took a screenshot of the first trading tab and then just included those tokens on this list, meaning that they probably could have just included so many other tokens on the Coinbase website in this but they've just picked those. For Coinbase, I think that the underlying structure part you mentioned, Zach, is probably more important. And maybe it doesn't really matter about these tokens. It just matters about the tokens that they basically agree and settle on in the future. But for all these other projects, I mean, when do you know if you're in violation of securities laws or not? Like the Ethereum Foundation, the Ethereum team, they didn't know forever until maybe 2018, that documentation came out from the the SEC. But even still, we're, we're still waiting, right? So how do you build when there's so much uncertainty? Jen? Yeah, so there were 12 tokens listed uh, in the Binance suit, right? And 13 tokens listed in Coinbase and some overlap, but they weren't exactly the same. So I really want to know what the criteria is on which tokens are being being included in which suit. Maybe some weren't available on either platform. I didn't really look into that. So maybe that's the simple answer. But this isn't the first time we've seen uh, tokens being listed in a suit before. So I would really love for the SEC to come out and tell us like what the criteria is. But I don't think that that is going to happen. Uh, the last thing I want to say, just on the back of your comments, Zach, I bring it up every time we talk about this, but this progressive decentralization conversation comes up in Hester Peirce's safe harbor proposal, right? Remember that proposal? It was supposed to give projects space to grow, to decentralize. We never heard about it again. It popped up uh, recently last week in the Republican bill. I really wish that this is something that someone would give some legs to because it seems like it would solve so many issues. It feels like the solutions are out there in the ether. The solutions, we're talking about them every day. But I don't know. It just feels like we're speaking to a brick wall. 
Pretty crazy. Definitely crazy times in the industry as the crypto crackdown in the U.S. ramps up. Attention crypto holders, moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference happened yesterday with a slew of new product announcements, including the Vision Pro, a mixed reality headset, which will allow users to mix physical reality with the virtual reality. Along with the announcement came a Disney partnership, which would allow users to interact with Disney content in an immersive way. Disney CEO Bob Iger said, this platform will allow us to bring Disney to our fans in ways that were previously impossible. I would just like to say, at one point last year, I said, one day we're going to have the physical world mixed with the digital world. And Will, you rolled your eyes. And I'm pretty sure you said it was a dumb idea. And maybe I should have been working for Apple. I don't hold know. up, hold up. There is probably a token pitch somewhere in your little spiel last year. So that is why. Okay, a little bit different. I don't think there was. I don't think there was the future where maybe we're going to be in the metaverse eating a taco, but it's going to feel really real and it will be IRL as well. Zach, hmm. please say something a little smarter. Yeah, I mean, it's the evolution of, uh, of screens, right? We're going from uh, TVs to our computers to our hands. Now they're just right on our face, right? And I think Apple <laughs> has the ability to, uh, you know, gin up some appeal, right? Like maybe more so than Facebook. Apple is cool. People love Apple. Those devices are very much in our lives in many ways, shapes, and forms. So all of a sudden for Apple to come and make something a bit more sexy than the existing headsets that are on the market, I think is really going to change the conversation, right? Like you had that famous photo, uh, I believe, of like Mark Zuckerberg walking down the the hall in this like ballroom with all these other like tech execs with their weird like virtual reality headsets on. And that was widely mocked and derided. I haven't seen much mocking and derision following the announcement of this thing. I've seen a lot of people being like, wow, this is really cool. And I think it it will potentially change the conversation about how people interact with metaverses both of the open Web3 variety and of the closed uh, Web2 variety. So this could be a big one that brings back some of these experiences into the conversation in a way that they were when Facebook changed its name to Meta. And for some reason, you know, people find Apple to be a more credible messenger when it comes to these experiences than Facebook. But I don't know. Will, give me the bearish take on this because maybe that was like the mixed (laughs) bullish take. But give me the bearish take for why this is going to fail miserably. There's no token. That's why it's going to fail. I need a token associated with this stuff. Uh, No, I actually kind of agree with you, Zach. I'll give like a mixed version again. I think Facebook's launch, it kind of failed because they focused on the game aspect, right? And you had like those dorky videos of Mark Zuckerberg in Metaverse. And he was like an avatar. He didn't really look real. And he was just like, hey, you can do Wii bowling with your friends, but sitting in your living room now. That didn't appeal to very many people. In this version, there's actually a utility. So the video that Apple sort of rolled out 
actually had some things that are like sort of interesting, right? You put on the headset, you're able to do like your normal day job, but you're also able to interact with your family. So if they threw like a football at you when you're like, you know, working on your <laughs> laptop or whatever, you can catch it because you can see things. You can still interact with people. The Facebook version of this was completely narcissistic in the sense that you are cut off from all the rest of the world. You are completely focused on whatever Facebook is feeding you. This Apple version has a lot of utility baked into it. I'm able to do things I need to do for work. I'm able to uh, enjoy that part, but I'm also able to interact with other people. And I think that was sort of a sneaky way of making it acceptable in a social setting in a way that the Facebook version was not. Also, I think that the design aspect is really big. Apple's always focused on the design. Right. We even talked about that with that Ledger uh, physical wallet launch a little bit ago, how Ledger went and purchased the designer for the Apple iPod to pr- come in and bring him into shop so he could design uh, the Ledger wallet. Well, Apple is sort of rolling with that same thing, right? Like it, they look like ski goggles, but they're a little better than what Meta rolled out. So I think those sort of like edge things do make a product like this very important, Jen, to you. Yeah. And you also don't need a, I guess this comes back to the design conversation. You don't need a controller to control this headset. It's controlled with your voice, your hands, and your eyes. Uh, and bringing this like Disney partnership into it, I thought was really interesting because just a few months ago, we heard that Disney laid off 7,000 people and some of those layoffs came from their metaverse department. And to see that they've now partnered with Apple on this product is really interesting, especially given that they were incubating Web3 projects last year. I remember us talking about that. And I believe the Web3 projects that they were incubating were very kind of AR uh, focused. What will be interesting for to watch, I think, though, is again like intellectual property rights, right? When when Disney's content can now be projected and seen in all kinds of different environments, I think that this opens up this like legal realm for where IP can be seen and viewed and interacted with that we probably haven't thought a lot about, um, and it will just add extra complexity, in my opinion. Are you guys going to buy one? The thirty five hundred dollar price tag. Thirty five hundred dollars. Maybe we could pool our money together. And we could share it. And each week, one different person could have one and do the show mm. from from the thing. I like it. The goggles. I like it. You like okay. it? I'm not doing it. It makes me sad how everyone's <laughs> absorbed in their phone at all times in the world. And it's going to make me extra sad when everyone is absorbed in their ski goggles in the real world. And they're just walking around like it's normal. That's I don't think be, they will be, though, be Zach. I think <laughs> it's going to be a moment. Eventually, eventually the goggles are going to go friends. away. And it's going to be a chip in your head. It's crazy. Mm. Zach just wants his CBDC taxes or whatever. And just, yeah. just keep life my, simple, baby. Just give me my authoritarian CBDC yeah. taxes. Just keep me, keep me, keep keep me happy. fat and happy. We'll be all right. Okay, you'll like this next story then, Zach. I think this one goes along nice. well with you. Nice. Life insurance company, Meanwhile Insurance Bitcoin out of Bermuda has raised $19 million to develop artificial intelligence-aided Bitcoin-denominated policy basically bringing life insurance to the blockchain with a Bitcoin backing. Few high-profile people investing in this project, including Sam Altman, the CEO of ChatGPT, and also the developer behind the Great Orb project. This idea has sort of floated around in Bitcoin circles for a while. Why can't we just use Bitcoin for other things? It is a lot of money, right? Let's make an insurance product out of it. And this company is bringing it to a blockchain near you. Zach, any thoughts on this? Would you be a purchaser of a Bitcoin-backed life insurance policy? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would. Amazing that they raised $19 million in this environment. Also amazing that it's in Bermuda. Credit to Premier David Burt for winning uh, an additional crypto firm to set up shop down there. Is this for me? Is this for everyone? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a large You're Bitcoin holder. I think that's, that's part of the you. thing. 
I mean, I do have a regular, you know, life insurance policy, so maybe I should diversify into into this one. I, I really don't know. It's the hardest to, asset on earth. I have to kick the tires on this one, but we'll see. I think that the Bitcoin life insurance is cute, but the business here is the AI <laughs> underwriting. And so I think they raised all this money and they're going to do Bitcoin life insurance as a use case. And then we're going to have AI underwriting for insurance, for insurance providers outside of crypto, inside of crypto, whatever. And that's the business case. And that's where the $19 million came from. And that's why Sam Altman is involved. And that is purely speculation. I have no information to back that up on. It is just my thoughts. The pivot to AI. Is the pivot to AI something to like make fun of? Or is it actually smart that people are pivoting to AI? I think that's like the open question. $19 million smart. So I think it works. I think it does work in the sense that like these things are performant enough to do underwriting or do like low level tasks and maybe just have someone check it. And then it does save you a lot of time, right? So you don't probably have to hire as big of a staff. You can probably get more customers because it's all automated. So that might be a bonus for it. But to Zach's point, I think it's still in the marketing realm right now, right? It's really not quite there. I think it's just part of like this whole pitch. The Bitcoin part, I have seen this talked about a few different ways. There have been some firms in the past that have offered things like this. Casa, for example, is a Bitcoin wallet firm out there. And they have this sort of scheme where like, if you die at a random moment and you have all this Bitcoin on your hardware wallet, well, they have a way for you to be able to retrieve that money and send it to a, a friend or a relative that's set up beforehand. There's other companies that do something similar. In this instance, the Bitcoins are backing their insurance policy, right? And so like, if you are a big Bitcoin whale, or maybe you want to be interested in Bitcoin in the future, but you don't want to hold it right now, you can probably send it into this account and then set up a life insurance policy that way. And it makes sense, right? In a world where Bitcoin continues to grow in size, why not have it be just a part of an allocation for a life insurance protocol? I don't know. doesn't seem like that crazy to me. Zach? In a world where Bitcoin continues to grow in size. <laughs> I'm not going to say life insurance. Yeah, you know, one day, one day. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it there for this story and for this edition of The Hash. Check out Coindesk.com for all the updates you need on the big Coinbase and Binance news. I'm Zach. That's Will. Jen's over there. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for being here. You go have a great day. Bye now. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.